Black joy and bootstraps The podcast that you really need Helping my black community Good vibes, good energy Black joy and bootstraps Top financial literacy Love and education Wanna see my people elevated yeah. Hello and welcome to another episode of Black Joy and Bootstraps I am your host Felicia Jimenez And I am on today with my boy Jeff Casper Jeff, can you say what's up for the folks? Hey guys, happy to be here Oh, Jeff, um, I'm really excited about today because there is a lot of stuff going on. Like, oh my gosh. And so we about to hit all of it. But one thing I realized this week, Jeff, as I was like hitting up social media, I'm looking at everything that happened um, on Capitol Hill, D.C., uh, I realize ev- everybody's talking about it all week, right? Like, right. we have been seeing it everywhere. Facebook, so- like every social media, everything, right? Um, mm-hmm. But one thing that I felt was missing from the conversation, and that's what we're going to hit on today, is, yo, there was a lot of people there on Capitol Hill that were elected officials. Yeah. Like, dead-ass elected officials, people that, you know, that we voted in were right. there on Capitol Hill storming the Capitol uh, and, and I, I just didn't think that that got the recognition that it deserved. Uh, mm. and so today we're going to talk a lot about that because I was like, you know, these people are now putting in letters of resignation and they just get to go about their business, Jeff, like, right, right. like nothing. So anyway, before we even get into all of that, cause baby, we're going to talk and talk and talk, but I wanted, um, just tell us a little bit about yourself. Uh, you know, give us a little bit of background about Jeff Casper, what we need to know. Yeah, I couldn't be more excited to be here with you. And this is an important topic. It's one that's uh, near and dear to my heart. My name is Jeff Casper, and uh, I'm a local educator. I've worked in high schools. I've worked in uh, colleges. Uh, currently, I'm an adjunct professor at Dallas College, and I work at West Mesquite High School uh, teaching college government on their campus. Um, and then as kind of a side hustle, uh, I served in local office in my city, my hometown of Mesquite, Texas, where I was born and raised and was able to uh, do some important things over five and a half years. And so now that uh, I just had a newborn baby that we're raising, uh, we've kind of taken some time off of being an elected official. And what's my passion at the moment is trying to find that next wave, uh, a bench of really great candidates who care about their city council, care about their school board, care about running for, for state office. Like you said, there are crazy individuals who are dangerous, Mm -hmm. that are sitting in incredibly important positions, Mm -hmm. making decisions that are going to affect our life every single day. Uh, Not just on trash being picked up and our potholes and what neighborhoods get invested in and which ones get neglected in, but uh, also deciding budgets, uh, deciding Mm -hmm. to add more police and more SWAT gear and uh, not invest in libraries and parks. Uh, and so, yeah, we're going to, we're going to have a good conversation today, but you know, it's, it's my passion at right now to find uh, other people who are candidates and to connect communities that have maybe never not, not thought about running for office, or mm-hmm. if they have thought about it, they quickly dismissed it as something that's, that's not me or it's not right now. Uh, and uh, uh, just kind of dispel some of those myths. Uh, so yeah, that's what I'm excited to talk about. Jeff, I I am so I'm so excited about this because y'all just like Jeff said, this really is his passion. If you can't tell, like he exudes all of this, just like he wants to serve the people. And Jeff, no pressure, 
No pressure at all, but I am saying um, you're the only white person I've had on my podcast, right? Oh, uh-oh. It's a lot <laughs> so, of I know, I'm not saying that the future <laughs> of your people on my podcast rests solely on you. Okay. <laughs> I'm just saying, <laughs> Jeff, you better well, do what well. an honor. I appreciate <laughs> that. That's a lot of trust. <laughs> Y'all, Jeff is my boy. Um, fun fact about Jeff, and I, we went to school together, graduated the same year, and had no clue. Like, we it got... Was a big school. <laughs> it was... It was <laughs> I mean, but it wasn't that big. Like, but we, I don't know. So uh, we graduated together, 05, and we got reconnected last year. Um, or was it two years ago? Yeah, kind of off and on over the last couple of years. Yeah, mm-hmm. so a couple of years ago. Um, and Jeff has just been so instrumental. We've worked on uh, quite a few things and are still working on things together, uh, trying to make where we live just better, right? So let's right. hop into it. Um I, like most millennials, Jeff, uh, I voted in presidential elections like, woohoo, like Barack Obama first term. Mm-hmm. I was in there, like standing in line, you know, with pride. But one thing I didn't know until here recently, and I mean within the last four years, right, of like this Trump era, was voting in local elections. Like I had yeah. no clue the importance of voting in local elections. Yeah. So I feel like anytime we have these conversations, they're mm-hmm. kind of preloaded with with a lot of the feelings that you just shared is uh, I don't want to say shame, but almost maybe almost embarrassment mm-hmm. on, well, I wasn't informed or it took right. me a long time to get there. And let's just kind of dispel yeah. all of that. It, all of us, we get engaged because something happens to us. Mm-hmm. Something activates us and we start seeing that politics matters. And maybe that's Black Lives Matter. Maybe it's going back to police brutality. Maybe it's uh, a national event, right? For a lot of people in our generation, uh, we were in high school when September 11th happened. Whatever it is, we got engaged. And usually that's national. Mm-hmm. And then as we grow and we mature politically, we start watching what happens at the state level. Uh, and if you're a teacher, it could be education budget. It could be uh, all of those kinds of financing things, um, teachers being underpaid, whatever right. it is. And then we start as we grow and mature even more, we start saying, well, OK, there's this stuff that's happening at my local level. Right. Mm-hmm. And I think Black Lives Matter was uh, phenomenal for tons of reasons, but also they really started highlighting and, and shining a light on uh, city budgets Absolutely. and that process and city council members who are being um, a, a barrier to uh, the progressive reforms that need to happen in communities all over. Uh, and so I just, I think it's natural, right? And so we kind of need to destigmatize mm-hmm. some of the feelings about not knowing right. how all of these operations happen uh, because it is insider baseball. And in, in other countries, it's simple, mm-hmm. right? We, they, they don't ask you to vote multiple times every single year. Uh, but in the United States, under our system of federalism, it is super complicated to know where the buttons of power even are yep. and, and how to change people out. Uh, and it is complicated. And so I just want to have a lot of grace. Uh, anytime we have these conversations with folks in our lives and our networks who feel like they, they're not on the insider track of all this knowledge, that's normal. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so that's where I kind of want to start out at. Uh, but yes, yeah, that councils. makes me feel good. That makes me feel good. really good. Cause I'm like, have people always known this stuff? Like <laughs> when, Absolutely when not. like we, when I was following activists and they were like the DA, the DAs are the most important people, the district attorneys. And, <laughs> right. and I was like, Oh my God, I don't even know who our DA, what is a DA. Right. So right. that, and then I started realizing like, Oh my gosh, like I've got it. These are the people who, when a police officer shoots a young or a black unarmed victim, right? Like these are the people mm-hmm. who get to say this person, 
person goes to prison or not, right? So mm-hmm. I was I was just kind of I'm I'm learning all these different things, and so I appreciate you, you know, destigmatizing that and doing all of that because we, you're right, we need to make sure that we we feel that way. Yeah, and that's how you grow people too, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, we we all get activated, and we're maybe watching the news, and so how do we convert that person from a watcher to somebody who might volunteer on a campaign, or how do we register them to vote for the first time in their lives? Right. And so we do need to think about it as a ladder of engagement, and each rung that we step up is is a new opportunity to educate, and we need to do that understanding that there are lots of folks behind us that still need to be brought forward. Uh, And so, yeah, when we use acronyms or when we talk about these processes, let's always start with nobody in the room knows what we're talking about. Right. Uh, And just to get rid of some of that, that stigmatization. Right. So I want to break that down. And today I want to talk about city council Two in particular. I want to talk about uh, city council and I want to talk about school boards because one thing that we have seen uh, in the past week, right, is like, because, you know, black folks and black Twitter, we're going we gonna to tear it up and we're going to just do great things. So one thing that I've seen on black Twitter is people saying, yo, in McGraw-Hill, y'all better get this right 15 years from now, right? Like, y'all <laughs> yeah. better make sure that y'all are going to tell this story correctly. So uh, because of that, I wanted to see how much involvement does the school board have in curriculum. We're going to get into it. So most people are unaware what the heck a city council does, period, Jeff. Like, people don't even know they have a city council, if I'm being yeah. real. So yeah. tell us, what is city council? What do y'all do? So city councils, uh, let's start with them, and then we can talk about school boards. City mm-hmm. councils are like your Congress uh, for the national government. They're going to pass ordinances, what, what we call at the national level laws. Uh, they're going to establish the budget um, and they're going to talk about taxation policies and, and what the tax rate should be. Uh, so you should, I think the best metaphor is think about a city council like your city's Congress. Um, and in bigger cities, uh, when I say bigger, I mean more than uh, several thousands of people who live there. So it doesn't always have to be, you know, Dallas or Houston or Austin with millions of people. But any city that have tens of thousands of people, oftentimes the mayor is not an executive like the president. Okay. Oftentimes the mayor is like a, like the speaker of the house, somebody who organizes Congress and is seen as kind of the leader or the spokesperson, but oftentimes just has the single vote power that any other council member has. So we, we kind of give a lot of um, credit and recognition to mayors, mm-hmm. but oftentimes they're just one vote on a council. And, um, yeah, one of the most important things that city councils do, especially in Texas, is they vote for that executive. They vote for what we'd call the president, right, as a metaphor. And that person's title is the city manager. And so they are hired by the city council. And their day-to-day operation is to execute the city, to, to run it. Um, and so they make a lot of important decisions about hiring, police chiefs, fire chiefs. A lot of times those are not city council decisions. That person, uh, as the city manager, hires and retains or fires that person by themselves, by their decision. Um, so one of the most important things the city council does is hire that city manager. You know, I I have to say when you were talking about the, the I mean, the small snippet of them, um, you said they deal with the police chiefs and things like that. Um Jeff and I just recently had um, a meeting with our uh, mayor and and the police chief was there as well. And the city was it the city manager. Is that who also yes. was present for the meeting? OK, mm-hmm. um, so we had like a whole council uh, and and we discussed various issues that we felt 
uh, needed to be discussed within our community. Anyway, uh, when we brought up what defund the police meant and we were asking the police chief, one thing that I did like that the police chief said was he was like, I'm not offended by that. Uh, he's like, I definitely understand what people are saying, that we should allocate funds elsewhere and do these things. Uh, now, that's not to say that the police chief is woke or he's he's witted or whatever. But I was surprised to hear a police chief actually say, I'm not offended by that. Mm-hmm. And I Absolutely. was like, well, that's a that's a good start, because if you're not offended by it, you're probably going to be more apt to listen uh, than just shutting down conversations. So. I appreciate that because when I was talking about city council, I was like, what is it exactly that they do? So you're right. I mean, we talked about the budget, right, with our mayor and trying to reallocate funds and and distribute them differently. And it was like that police budget. Oh, baby, it would not budge. Right. Like Mm -hmm. he was like, no. Yeah, no. Yeah, let me still no. Like, damn. okay. so um, that's something to definitely be cognizant of that. They are the ones with the power and we are the ones that elect them to have that power. Uh, so we have to know that that kind of brings me to my next question, though. When city council uh, members run, are they running as Republicans or Democrats? Or are they just running as people? I don't know if that's like a weird question to ask, no. but how does that work? It's a great question. And I think it's one where we can kind of connect the two things we've already talked about of kind of a lot of folks maybe not knowing whatever how everything works and then also what city council is and what it's responsible for. And so for our listeners, we live in suburbia, right? right. So we live in a, a little suburb outside of Dallas uh, and it's a minority majority city. Mm-hmm. Um, and it it's city council politics are run as if it was a rural city. Uh, It is dominated by voters who are older, Mm -hmm. wider, evangelical, uh, and their views on the changing demographics that our suburban city has gone through over the past 20 years are not healthy. Uh, And it it has uh, been toxic and it's pervaded Mm -hmm. um, every decision city council makes from housing policy, uh, from uh, the amount of budget that's spent on first responders. All of these things uh, are built on, I want, I want our listeners to think of every election as a machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, what we get out of that machine, our output, the quality of our elected officials and the quality of our policies, it's directly proportional to what is put into that machine. And in way too many communities, the electorate, the people who participate are older, wider, mm-hmm. and more conservative. And so it does not, not allow us to have uh, really quality policies that the vast majority of our city would benefit from when the electorate is just a small slice of that city. Um, So, you know, that's a a big talking point that I think our our listeners need to think through. If if we're not participating in city council elections, uh, who is participating and what kind of policies do they want to have? So are they Democrats? Are they Republicans? Yes, they are. Uh, Will they campaign as such? It depends on the politics of that city. It in, if it's an older, wider, more conservative electorate, there's going to be a lot of signals to those voters mm-hmm. of candidates who are Republican. Uh, and they're going to try to talk about how they share their values. And a lot of that is, I think, for the next couple of years, 
going to be centered around the defund the police conversation. Right. Uh, and so they're going to talk about how uh, in favor of uh, police they are and how we need to expand and keep us police safe. positions and keep us safe. Mm-hmm. And there's a criminal element and mm-hmm. crime is going up and none of it's built in data. For example, in our suburban community, we've added more police officers every cycle, every year uh, for the past six years that I've been kind of watching uh, really in, in depth. And we have had a lower crime rate. We've had historically low crime rates. And so wow. why would why would we continue to add more police um, every single year without much debate, without much community uh, input saying that our crime rates are out of control, um, built in data? And so, yeah, for example, I'll give you an anecdote. When I ran um, six years ago, mm-hmm. I was loud and proud as a Democrat. Uh, my voting record in, in, in Texas, your, your primary voting record is public data. And so anyone who looks up my voting record, they can see I vote consistently in every single Democratic primary mm-hmm. because I believe that's the political party that shares my values. Mm-hmm. And so I don't hide that. Uh, but when I run for city council, the voters are older wider, more conservative. Mm -hmm. And so when I knock a door, I'm not going to lead with, hey, I'm Jeff Casper, super Democrat. I'm going to say, hey, I'm your neighbor. And I care about that that pothole. I care about that park. I care about, you know, the funding that this neighborhood needs. Uh, If I win, what do you need to tell me? What should I focus on? Uh, And that conversation allows us to start getting out of that partisan polarization Mm -hmm. that ends too many conversations and allows us to connect on things that we share values on. Um, So that's, that's how I talked one-on-one, but you better believe it. Uh, As soon as I announced my opponent or uh, political interest uh, parties, Mm -hmm. um, the police union purchased a robocall that went out to every voter that had a track record of voting in our uh, city council elections that said, Jeff Casper is funded by, uh, Democrats and he's actually funded by abortion dollars. I don't, I don't know what that even means. Right. right. Like, <laughs> uh, but they wanted to use the term abortion Democrat, my mm-hmm. name, uh, right off the day I announced. Uh, and so these elections, they will be run mm-hmm. with a partisan tilt. If one of the two candidates thinks that that is uh, in their advantage. Right. And, and it's so sad because what we're, what we've seen right in the last four years is such an intense stronghold on, um, what is the word I'm looking for? Uh, um, loyalty to party, right? Mm-hmm. Like yeah. more over country, over like it is like I'm a Republican. I will vote this way. I will. And there have been several Republicans that have left and said, "Hey, like this was not what I thought it was." Right? Okay, yeah. kudos to you or whatever. But the majority have been like, "I am here to stay, and this is what it is." Right? Like I believe. Yeah. And so really all you have to do, like you said, or throw out those little triggers, throw out those words that that get them like, oh, no, there's no way, you know, and then everything else is out the window. Like nobody else has to listen to you um, because they said funded by abortion dollars. Again, I'm with you. Like what the what does that even mean? I don't even know. Like, are you funded by Planned Parenthood? Like, I don't I don't know what they're even (laughs) like trying to say, you know, Yeah, at the city council level. Mm -hmm. We certainly don't 
have any say on abortion policies or, or even funding community health clinics that right. provide abortions. All of that stuff is is state and federal level. And so it it's an attempt to end to a conversation right. instead of trying to connect over it. And when I served on the city council, uh, I, I am the only Democrat that I know of mm-hmm. that has uh, served in the last 30 or 40 years in, in our suburban community. Uh, and so I did not have the advantage uh, to have other Democrats on that council mm-hmm. uh, to, to be a faction or to kind of think about things through. Everyone I served with was either a kind of center right mm-hmm. Republican or a Tea Party Republican. Right. Uh, and so I had a very difficult time crafting policy uh, if I was only going to operate in that uh, partisan framework. Um, but by connecting with my colleagues, uh, by gathering the community um, and trying to help the community lobby those uh, conservative Republicans, we were able to do really progressive policies. Um, You know, uh, six years ago, there was a lot of controversy about um, open carry in Texas and whether we were going to allow guns into our city council meetings uh, and into other uh, open meetings of government. And so we were able to defeat that. We were able to pass payday lending regulation. I would argue that our city is perhaps the most strenuous on those toxic institutions wow. uh, that trap people in debt. Uh, and that's a really progressive policy that we did in, in our city. We uh, changed the way we operate our elections in, in our suburban community uh, by creating single member districts, uh, which we've talked a little about a little bit later, but it's gonna allow people who are not typical typical politicians with tons of money and tons of support to get started thinking about running for office in our hometown. We changed elections from May to November uh, because, again, it's really complicated to try to connect voters when you're asking them to vote every two or three months. And they're saying, well, I already voted four years ago. What I did my duty. Uh, And so by trying to consolidate elections to one solid day every Mm -hmm. year, you're able to keep more people engaged. Uh, And so we've done really progressive things, just not talking about it as Democrat versus Republican. Um, And. And, you know, I think a lot of the the even older, wider, more conservative voters like a lot of these policies we did. They just would have never given it a chance if it was a Democratic policy. Of course. Of course. Uh, and and I have to admit, too, like just like many of our listeners, I, I am guilty of that, too. Like I hear something Republican and I'm like, no way. No, like right. because there's such. And then I have to actually remind myself, Felicia, yo, you need to listen. Like you can't just be shutting things down. Right. Uh, but that's I, I feel the same way sometimes and I have to check myself in, in doing things like that, too. So you said something that really segues kind of into the next thing. Uh, well, let me back up really quick, because when you said we are a minority majority city, that is mm-hmm. absolutely accurate of where we live. But what is also accurate is that there is not one minority on our city council member. Wait, sorry. There is one, and he is third-generation Mexican. I I need to stop. So, um, but he is very conservative, uh, Mm -hmm. again, evangelical, right? Mm -hmm. Is he a pastor or preacher or something like that? Yes, he's a pastor, yeah. Right. And so a lot of it still uh, doesn't align with the Latinos that we have in our city. So a lot of the things Mm -hmm. that that he is representative of do not align with the Latinos in our city. So that is, that's another thing too. uh, And, and acknowledging that so many, just like you said, of the voters, there is a a portion in Mesquite uh, that is run by old money. 
The houses are nice. I'm like, oh, y'all got money, money over here, right? Yeah. And those are the people that you're talking about that are going to vote every election. Uh, When I was like researching elections and midterm elections, one thing that I learned, uh, and I got this from the nationalcivicleague.org, but they were talking about how the there's very low turnout uh, for local elections, right? And a yes. lot of that is lack of awareness of the candidates, um, issues, and basically lack of understanding of just functions of how local elected officials and how, how it af- impacts our daily lives, right? Uh, mm-hmm. But they were talking about how when they, a lot of cities, just like you said in Mesquite, they change it from May to November. When they changed it from odd number cycle years, like this year, 2021, um, and a lot of people are going to go, wait, I didn't know we voted this year, right? Yeah. Um, so when you change that, and at least it's changed to November because we know, we know we'd be voting in November, right? Like yes. regardless, of, we know we vote in November. So a lot of that was uh, in Baltimore alone when they changed it, they went from like 15 to 20% to a 60% turnout rate. Like it increased by 60 I was just like, this is incredible. So these are the things yeah, that we need amazing. to know in order to have successful uh, local elections, right? Speaking right. of which, how often are elections when we're talking about c- uh, city council? Yeah, that's a great question. And I, I want our listeners to know that there's a ton of variations. Oh, yeah. uh, and so what we what we need to do is think about our city, our school board that we are a part of. Mm-hmm. And you can just, you know, Google search who represents me and you'll be able to find all the data by typing in your address. And so we need to look up where we're at and then think about the U.S. government. How How does it get created? There's a constitution that lays out who's eligible and how elections work and how often it'll happen. The same thing is true for cities. There's a city charter uh, and that document is going to lay out exactly how often we vote. Uh, what What's the eligibility requirements to be able to be a council member or a board member for our school district? Um, and so we need to look at those documents. And oftentimes, if we go on the bodies of those institutions, our city government, our school board, uh, they'll have some sort of website tab that talks about uh, how you're eligible for that seat and how often the election is. But I would say in Texas, the the norm for city council is it's going to be a two-year term. And so we're going to have an election for that seat every two years. But some cities have their seats staggered, right? So they're going to have an election every single year. Uh, and s- some of the people will be up for election. Other members will not be. Oh, um, okay. and, and so that way they're kind of buffering against a wave of support or interest in a particular topic. They can't win a majority of the seats in that single election, even if there was, say, like a, uh, a movement to reallocate police funding uh, more equitably. It would take sustaining that over two years in order to win enough council members to change policies. Gotcha. Right. Um, And so one of the things I wanted to do in our hometown was get everyone election up on the same time um, in November. uh, And I would prefer that it it would be a presidential year just so we can simplify it for voters even more. Mm -hmm. I could not get my conservative colleagues to jump in on that. But they did change it to a odd year, which is our constitutional amendment elections in November. Uh, And so it is a bigger turnout than what most cities have in Texas, May elections. Uh, Very few few people vote in those elections. We're talking four or five percent of registered voters. And remember, only half of our community are even registered to vote. Um, And so really, really small groups of people are choosing how to spend 
hundreds of millions of dollars every single year in our community. Jeff, just really quick, what do you think made them turn that down? Just like if you could just name it, what do you think made them turn down the idea of having us vote every presidential year or what, what, what do you think? Brown and black voters being engaged. Mm. Uh, we, we know in Texas, uh, brown and black voters show up in presidential elections. Um, and there are folks who vote in governor's elections and constitutional amendment elections, but it's not the same ratio. It's not the same level. Right. Um, and so in, in our hometown, and I think this would be true of a lot of suburbia, uh, we, we have never, and we've been around since the 1880s in our city, mm-hmm. we've never elected an African-American. Wow. Never. We've had one Latino and he's a Tea Party conservative. Uh, and so, yeah, I think my colleagues are really fearful mm-hmm. of moving the elections to a date in which the real community is more representative of uh, the electorate. If those two things match, everything changes. Right. Policies, the people who sit in those chairs. And I think that's the fear. Um, and so one of the conversations I want to make sure we have is – we don't need to just think about victory mm-hmm. of as winning the election. We need to think about the victory as finding candidates to run for office. Because when a candidate runs, they're going to activate their friends, Ooh. their family, mm-hmm. their, their, their faith community, their neighbors to start paying attention, to maybe register to vote, to show up and say, well, what is city council about? And so every person who runs who's not a typical council member in our community that's old and white and and evangelical, maybe even a reverend or a pastor Mm -hmm. or a business leader or an attorney, when it's not one of those people who are already the 5% of voters who are showing up, now we're changing the electorate. And that's a change that may win uh, that candidate for office, or maybe it just adds another 2 or 3% to the voters who aren't the normal voters, right? And so Mm -hmm. if we did that seven times every year, if we did it for the school board every single time. If we found really quality candidates who match the city better, we're changing the electorate over time as well. And that itself is victory. That's going to have a lot of victories down the road. I, you hit it. When you said the black and brown voters, I, that is my next question because you, you led right into it. I was just thinking, okay, as someone who's been on city council, what would you tell specifically minorities to look for when they go to vote, right? Because what we're trying to do even on this podcast is just activate voters, right, for the election. So what is it that you would tell us? And I know we have to be very careful, right, because I don't want anyone there. I don't need no white man telling me. Yes, okay, I got it, y'all. We get it, right? But as somebody who's been on the inside and someone who um, I genuinely do consider an ally and somebody who really does look out for my community, for the brown community as well, uh, what like what is it that you've seen that we should say, okay, this is what we need in a candidate? Yeah, and so I, I also want to kind of echo everything you just said. I am a white male, and that's obviously my background, and I served with nothing but white males and one Latino Tea Party conservative. And when we made decisions, there was not a person of color. There was not a woman in the room. I'm cognizant of all of that, and I'm not a leading expert on uh, – being a a black or brown organizer and activating those communities. That's not my experience. And I want to make sure I I give voice to that. My experience is being a progressive and and an ally Mm -hmm. in a suburban community. And that is uh, a majority minority city with an all white council, with an all white uh, city leadership experience. 
And so I've been in those rooms and I've seen when the decisions get made and I've seen people think about running for office and back out of it. Right. And so one of the things we have to think about when we're looking at for how do we know a good candidate um, and what, what as a minority voter, how do I know a good candidate from a bad candidate? It takes a lot of research. And one of the good things about political party uh, labels is that if I label myself as a Democrat, I, I'm communicating really quickly to everybody what my values are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's easy for people to, to kind of get a feel for. And that doesn't mean it's always going to be true. And we can say Texas Democrats are different than California Democrats, and we can have all those kind of conversations. But if we're trying to give a snapshot to voters really quickly about what values I have, that party label can be helpful in that way. Absolutely. Uh, but it's got to be the, the way these candidates campaign. Are they only going to a, a black faith community right before election? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Or are they only talking about their black friends on Facebook during that election time period, but they're not talking about policies that would lift up neighborhoods right. and communities? Um, and so, yeah, it's it's got to be we have to find some folks who are interested in researching candidates and panels that will get them on and have a conversation uh, to get elected in suburbia. We cannot have the pathway to victory to just go and talk to the Republican women's group. And that's the end of it. We have to be advocates Mm -hmm. and have questionnaires and have panels that push these candidates. If they are going to have an expectation of earning anyone's vote, that they have to go and they have to talk to black and brown voters and people who share progressive ideas. Uh, And so that's something that our communities have to be better about is we have to have our candidates. Mm -hmm. That would be best. But if we don't have candidates in the race, we got to make it hell for these campaigners uh, and hold them accountable and ask them really hard questions and get them on the record. What are they going to do different in next year's budget? Um, And so, yeah, that's what we got to do. You know, you and um, shout out to our good friend, Kia uh, Gilliam, because she has been just so eye-opening for me to make sure that we hold local leaders accountable, just like you did, that we hold them to the fire that we say. Um, and she has no problem. She adds every single one of them on her social media and then we'll call them to the carpet in the same moment. Um, right. and, and it's something that I love about her, right? Because I'm like, this is what we need to do. And especially in our city, we are used to seeing the dog whistles. We are used to seeing mm-hmm. them use language that is, we know, right? The law and order, the uh, the the growing criminal um activity in our neighborhood, all the things that say, be careful because there's a lot of black and brown people here now. Right. Right, Uh, And it's scary for people, especially for uh, their voting base. And they know that. Uh, And so I, I appreciate that, that we know, hey, we have to look at what these people's voting record has been. Uh, are they are they active in our community, period, instead of just going, like you said, are they kissing ba- kissing black babies on Sunday right before the election, or is this is this where they regularly attend, right? Right. Uh, and I will throw out this really quick. I went to our own mayor, Bruce Archer. I went to go uh, have a meeting with him. It was just Kia and I, and I'm sitting in this meeting, and I looked, y'all, y'all are going to think I'm crazy. I look around. This man has on a an American flag mask. He's got on American flag socks. He's got like 57 American flags all in his. <laughs> now, I know black folks know that like today the American flag is low key the new Confederate flag. But I was like, so 
And mind you, right, English teacher here, educators here, government teacher on, like, we know. So I'm looking, and he's got this huge, beautiful, like, bookshelf. This is, like, the English teacher means, like, geeking out, right? But behind his desk is, like, this beautiful book uh, shelf, and it is full Jeff, when I say full, I mean full. Jena, okay, Spanish. Jena, <laughs> the books of just uh, like white male conservatives. Like yeah. that is every single book, and he, I think he had one by Kennedy, and he had one by uh, Bill Clinton, right? Okay. And I was yeah. like, you've got to be kidding, and and still white males, right? <laughs> like at the end of the day, and I was like, you have got to be kidding me. But every single book, I didn't see anyone that was of color, and if they were of color, it was like them talking about their journey in conservatism. Mm-hmm. It was unbelievable. So I, I had to throw that out there, and I, I do want to get into school board because that's super important. But before we do that, I just want to, um, for the city council, the last thing, tell me something that you felt. Um, you did really well. I know we've kind of hit on it already, like with your progressive things, but what is something that you could say? I was really proud of this moment. Like I was, I I was very happy. Uh, And I also want to get one of your regrets. So maybe we should do the regret first and then we can end on the, (laughs) you can give me the the proud moment. So what was one thing that you said? Oh, I wish I could have done that differently. And then I want to hear, I was really proud of this moment. Okay. Uh, I I do want to kind of address real quick. My experience talking with council members, talking with politicians, candidates for office, state politicians, national politicians, the more an individual wraps themselves in the imagery of being a patriot, I think is directly proportional uh, to their lack thereof. Right. Absolutely. And so, yeah, that's a red flag for me in my life is anybody who uh, calls themselves a patriot or uh, buys a Hawaiian T-shirt that's the American flag. (laughs) Those kinds of things to me are an admission. uh, I'm not confident who I am. I actually bought you one of those for Christmas and I've been meaning to get Fantastic. it over to you. So yeah. Yeah. I'll just okay. go re- return that. I'll just take that back. And <laughs> I'll, I'll find but, something you know, else. It's, it's funny, but you, you think about uh, right after September 11th for the next decade, we judge people's patriotism on mm-hmm. if you wore that flag lapel mm-hmm. on your, on your suit. Right. Um, and if you didn't, you're not a real American. Um, yeah. And instead of looking at the policies of like the invasion of Iraq and sending our young folks to die over there without a mission uh, or a clear mission, uh, you know, like we don't judge patriotism on the actual policies. Uh, right. we, we just need you to be on Fox News or like you said, uh, have a mask or. Yeah, it's crazy. Oh, the um, socks, but, boo. Don't forget the socks. Oh, the socks. The okay, yeah, you got to have both. Jesus, if you boo. really love America, you'll have American flag pants. That's yes, the only way. that's yeah. really what it is. Yeah. Really what it is. So <laughs> regrets and things yeah. that you were proud of. So I think the biggest regret I have is not being confident in my candidacy as a first time um, candidate. I was 28 years old and I knew I was a, a progressive and if, if elected the youngest person to serve on our city council in, in, in our history. And I felt like we had a really great strategy of allowing me to go talk to the electorate that existed, those older, wider, more conservative. And, and this is obviously an audio call and folks can't see. But, you know, I look like I should be Republican. Um, I, I do. Right. Uh, and we so I think all white men are Republicans. <laughs> right. <laughs> so right. Yeah. you right. you right. <laughs> but I have a comb over and yeah, all those kinds of things. Like I, I fit the stereotype. Right. And so uh, we our campaign thought I could go and have conversations with that group. And they if they don't know how progressive I am, 
we can connect on the values I share and we can have good conversations and then we can move on. And then the folks I had volunteering who were loud and, and proud Democrats and they were, um, you know, uh, young people, there were women, uh, they were black and brown volunteers and they would go to communities when they knocked on the door and opened it. There was automatic trust already built in right, there. Right. right. And so we ran a smart campaign that way, but that meant I had to, for four months, have conversations nonstop with conservatives. And I also had to go win the endorsements or try to win the endorsements of every club and every group that gets involved in these races. And if you don't know city council elections, some of the most important organizations that can move the dial on who gets elected and who doesn't is the police and fire associations or or unions if if we were in a state other than Texas. Um, And so I had to go into the police and the firefighters and have conversations with them. And if I could do it again, if I were running for office this year, I would call their presidents and I would say, listen, I'm going to be there on, on, on the budget items that make sense, but you don't have me as a guaranteed vote on your entire wish list. Mm -hmm. And I'm not going to seek, nor would I accept your endorsements because I would like to be able to, make my own decisions and reallocate funds in a, in a big way. We need to relook at first responders in communities that have historically low crime rates and move tens of millions of dollars away from having SWAT gear and riot gear and, and gas masks and tear gas right. and all of these tools and, and weapons that we see in the battlefield on our city streets. We need to see if that fund could be better used buying library books, right. buying internet hotspots. In a, and, and we live in a community that is a low economic community. It's a poor community. Mm-hmm. And so for every dollar we spend buying a gun or a bullet is a dollar we're not spending to lift up our community. Mm-hmm. And so that's my biggest regret is not being as bold mm-hmm. uh, in campaigning and as bold in governing as I'd like to have been or I would be today. But I think, you know, if I had more candidates that uh, were on city council who were Democrats, maybe it'd be easier. I just wasn't confident enough to do it. So I just want to make sure we have this correct. So your biggest regret is not charging up folks that you should have charged up back in the day. That's that's right, right? (laughs) (laughs) I think that's always where I land. But yeah, I wouldn't seek or accept police or fire uh, endorsements. Gotcha. Um, I, I appreciate that. Uh, and this is how I know Jeff has several black and brown friends because that, if that's your regret, we constantly are like, I should have fought them. I should have just right then risked it all. (laughs) Just just go ahead, risk it all. Let's just go ahead and scratch right now. You know? Uh, so tell us about a time that you felt, uh, I'm, I feel very happy that I did this or that I was a part of this. And then I definitely want to talk about school boards because baby. Yeah. We got to get there. Yeah. Uh, payday lending is, is, I mentioned it earlier. That's one of the things that, uh, the folks who, um, would have been, uh, been prey to these organizations, they may never know, uh, but they're not going to be prey in Mesquite, Texas because of the policies we passed. Those institutions went from expanding nearly on every street corner, uh, to moving out of our city. Uh, and it's because we have the most aggressive, um, ordinances, on the, the existence of those institutions, I would argue, in Texas. 
Uh, and our state is really, really lax on those institutions. And so if you are ever in a crisis and you think getting a payday loan or a title loan is the answer, it's not. It's, mm-hmm. it's not. Once you get it, uh, they're going to have first dibs. And oftentimes they pull out of your bank account automatically and they do it the day before you get your paycheck because they know that's when your funds will be the lowest. And then when you can't repay, they ask, ask you to one up and get another loan. Wow. And we're talking interest rates that are in the hundreds mm-hmm. of percents. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, you know, I don't know if anyone will ever know the damage that we were able to stop by having those policies, but it's real. And it's, it's big. But the other one I'll say real quick is back maybe seven, eight years ago, we had the bathroom wars in Texas. And this was uh, Dan Patrick and, uh, and Governor Abbott. And there were lots of conservatives who wanted to beat up on folks who were LGBT, but especially the T, the transgender folks, mm-hmm. and wanted to paint them as predators, as demons, as predators mm-hmm. and demons and rapists. Mm-hmm. And they, they tried to suggest policies to fix a non-existent problem. We know none of those things are true, right? but they wanted to uh, pass a bunch of laws and ordinances about who could be in what bathrooms. And, you know, let me just say, if you know the genitalia of the person next to you in the bathroom, you're the freak, you're right. the weirdo. You are right? the problem. And so, Absolutely. Um, And we've all gone to concerts and bars and we've all used restrooms with multiple genders in there. Mm -hmm. It's it's not a problem. Mm -hmm. Right. And so, yeah, one of the things we were able to do in Mesquite is pass a equal employment opportunity policy. And and all that really means is we're going to hire, promote, fire people, not based on their religion, not based on their skin color, not based on anything other than their competency. But what we did not have in there was any sort of protections for folks about their gender mm-hmm. their, uh, or even I don't, I don't know if at the time we even had protections for their sexual uh, orientation. I, I, but we put both of those in there. And so we we went I went out and talked to the resource center uh, in Dallas, Texas. That is a phenomenal interest group and, and advocacy center for LGBTQ plus issues. And I talked with Raphael there and I said, hey, we're going to redo this. And I don't know if I can get it done, but if I can, what needs to be in there? What's the best language that gives us the best legal protection for our employees? Nice. And so he, he hooked me up with the best practices and I gave that to our city manager and we uh, started moving the ball down the field. Well, the day of the vote, um, one of my council members, actually, uh, the, the Latino Tea Party member that we were talking about earlier, oh he found that language and he, he wasn't sure on what any of it meant. And so he reached out not to me, not to our city attorney, not to our city manager, but he reached out to a president of a Tea Party Republican group and said, hey, what's this mean? And so uh, that person said, oh, this is them trying to allow transgender people into every bathroom and we're going to see rapists and kids are going to get hurt and on and on and on. And so not only did the local Tea Party group come and create a circus but that Tea Party president called the Nash, the I'm sorry, the Austin uh, organizations, and so we had in the news uh, all over the place. We had crazies descending on Mesquite, Texas, our city, from all over. Wow. And by the time 7 p.m. showed up that night, we had hundreds of people in the uh, city council chambers, and we had a very very long list of people who wanted to comment on these policies. Mm-hmm policies they had no idea what it even meant uh, and they wanted to uh, uh, give their opinion on it 
And so what I'm proud of, and here's what I'd recommend when, when our listeners win their local seat and they serve, we can't do these things alone. We can't pass important policies without engaging the community. Mm-hmm. One of the things I was able to do was put out an all call uh, to, to everyone I knew. And we had Democratic state representatives show up. We had the resource center show up. We had uh, everyone reached out. They, we, we found folks who shared their own experiences uh, in Mesquite ISD, in the city of Mesquite government. Uh, we had LGBTQ plus members themselves or their yes. kids or their family come out and share their story. And sharing that story and talking about how important it is for you to not be able to fi- be fired because you're gay or for us not to have policies that are discriminatory in their nature, it, we were able to pass that law because folks were courageously came out and spoke into a microphone for the world to hear mm-hmm. their personal experiences. And it turned what would have been a losing vote into a 5-2 vote. Wow. By the way, the other no vote promised to vote yes because he told me on a one-on-one he understood that this was the right thing to do. But then when the Tea Party crazy started coming out and causing the scene, he had to vote no. That guy is now our mayor. Right. That guy is now our mayor. Um, I'm so surprised. Yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty frustrating. Uh, But that that is, again, that would not have happened if I wasn't in that chair. And that's not to give me credit. Mm -hmm. That's to say we have to find folks who share our values to put in these chairs uh, because the conversation will never start. And even if it starts, we have to engage our whole community in order to get the ball over the, the goal line. I, I think that is something that we need to understand is sometimes, and I know for a fact, listen, I am all for representation. I want to put as many black and brown bodies in spaces of power and places of power yes. that share my views. But the next best thing, <laughs> right, is always going to be a Jeff Casper that's like, but I'm on your side too, right? Yeah. Because sometimes it's not always possible, and I want us to understand. Well, I don't want to say it's not always possible. Mm, I don't know, because I feel like yeah. it, it is. <laughs> I'm trying to it like is. figure it out is. if it is. I mean, I know that there are areas where um, there are less minorities, right? Yeah. Uh, so maybe the probability is lower. Let me just say that. Right. Um, right. But we can we can find some allies, and that's what's really important. Yeah. If you can't have white allies, even if you had white allies leading every organization like school board, like city council, that still doesn't build trust and it doesn't activate the voters, right? And so, anytime we can find a member of the community who is representative of the electorate, the mm-hmm. real electorate that should exist, we have to do that. Nice. Um, and so, think about Ferguson, right? The, uh, a bad police shoot. Um, and we've seen far, far too many of those, but Ferguson was obviously combustible more so than a typical bad police shoot because it was an all white council with an all white city leadership and an all white police force governing a predominantly black city. Right. Mm -hmm. So it creates that tender, that powder keg for combustibility when things go bad or when there's a really hard time and there's going to be really hard times. Uh, And so we have to do better than just white allies. And so I just wanted to say that myself. Yep, absolutely. Let's hit on school board because this is, oh my gosh. When we talk about city council, we're talking about our entire city, right? Everything that we've Mm -hmm. just hit on. Uh, And we need to be focused on education Like, I cannot say it enough. I look 
we are we our district alone is struggling like and we struggling hard and we are struggling when we shouldn't have to struggle and that is what is very frustrating to me we have so many teachers in the classroom we have so many people that are over education that do not see our kids. They couldn't care less about the communities that they come from. They don't care about their history in this country or their native countries. They don't care at all. Uh, And they say things like, I treat all kids the same. How? Even as a parent, I know that when I have another child or if I have another child, I cannot treat them exactly how I treated my daughter. Like, you, that is not how parenting works. And maybe if you're a trash parent, <laughs> right? <laughs> but that is not, good parenting doesn't work that way. Neither does good education. We have to make sure that there is equity involved. So let's talk about school boards. What is it? Uh, what is a school board? Like, what do they do, Jeff? Yeah. So police, fire, roads, all of that kind of stuff, city council. School board is about the policies and the, the budget of the educational infrastructure in that city, K to 12. And so very similar, they're passing policies. They're the Congress of that organization of the educational infrastructure. And they also, instead of hiring a city manager, they're going to hire what we know as a superintendent. Um, And they're going to set a budget for uh, the school board. And we're talking serious money here. It's, it's a lot, it's very expensive. I don't think folks understand. It's very expensive to educate just a single student. You're talking the building, the infrastructure, that professional who's in the room, who knows not just content, but also the science of pedagogy, mm-hmm. um, the lunches, the desks, the furniture. It is, it is expensive to educate kids. We're talking, you know, five to $8,000 per kid, depending on, uh, the geography and, and the income level. Um, and so they, they're going to have a big budget. They're going to have a big tax rate. Um, and they're going to try to to educate kids the best way they can. So when we talk about them trying to educate our kids in the best way that they can, does this mean that they get to sign off on what is and is not taught? Yes and no. Um, and so the state level in Texas, we have the Texas Education Agency, uh, and they are overseeing all the school districts and their efficacy in educating. There's also a state board of education, uh, and it, these folks are elected. Uh, so TEA, the Texas Education Agency, they're bureaucrats. Uh, they're the folks who are organizing standardized tests and, and teacher evaluation and that kind of stuff. But the state board of education, they're elected officials. And their job is to create what's called the TEKS, the Texas Essential Knowledge and Skills. And so if you don't know, every grade, every course that is taught in public schools in Texas, they have a list of things that teachers legally have to teach. And that's that's where we build our curriculum from. Those TEKS are uh, created by the State Board of Education. Mm-hmm. And we'd like to say that these things are are easy and everyone agrees on them. But that's not true. Partisanship is is built into this organization as well. Anytime you have a competitive election, oftentimes folks are Democrats and Republicans. Mm-hmm. And so over the past 20 years, this organization, State Board of Education, has had a lot of debates. Uh, are they going to teach evolution? Are they going to teach science? Or are they going to teach creationism? Are we going to send kids to UT and A&M or whatever school not knowing how evolution works? And 
just being taught creationism. Right. Right. So like, how would we have vaccines and, you know, and, and, and leading scientists in Texas, if, if that were to went out uh, in government, we've had really um, interesting debates at the state board of education about government curriculum. Are we going to teach uh, separation of church and state? Or are we going to teach um, the United States government evolving out of Judeo-Christian beliefs? Um, and so all of these decisions are really, really important for the future of our country, because if you can control the curriculum, uh, you know, you can really build in the ideas of what our kids learn and what they don't learn. Jeff, I remember um, being in middle school. And having teachers go, well, I got to teach our evolution, even though it's not something I personally, you know, like those comments. Right. That's the science teacher saying right. that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And I was like, I'm sorry, what? Right. Like, this yeah. is crazy. And then, Jeff, fast forward many, many years later, I go to a church school. I go to Brigham Young University in Idaho. And mm-hmm. uh, my it's my first class, first day. I kid you not. I'm sitting in class and my professor goes, Listen, we're going to talk about evolution in here, and I don't care if you like it or not. I'm just going to be honest. He goes, and um, if you want to ask me if we came from monkeys, I'm going to ask you, does it matter? Does God be, is God less of a God if we came from monkeys? And I was sitting there like, what is happening? (laughs) I was so, Jeff, when I tell you I was shook, I was like, like my entire life was filled with science teachers in Texas going, well, Okay, let's get to the evolution portion and like rolling their eyes at it. Like, let me teach you guys how to roll a joint. Like, what? (laughs) Like, you're not teaching us that. Like, this is not detrimental. Like, this is good, right? Right. Um, And, but my college professor, I mean, that was, he had me shook, like sitting there. He was like, does that mean that God can no longer be God? Okay, let's move on. I was like, and I was sitting there like, mouth like open like I know I look like an idiot I wish it was one of those moments I was recorded because I was like what the hell just happened yeah you know and and I'm a evangelical Baptist myself that's that's my background but when we start talking about do we allow science teachers k to 12 to teach mm-hmm. based on what best practices of scientists are saying needs right. to be taught to prepare them to work in our hospitals right. or as inventors at Fortune 500 companies, uh, creating the next vaccine or, or solar panels or whatever it is? Or are we going to allow partisanship ideology in our elections to determine what science is and what it's not, right? Right. That's really the question. Uh, And so to kind of remove Christianity and evolution and all that debate out of this, are we going to allow science Mm -hmm. to dictate what should be taught in those rooms Mm -hmm. or is politics, right? right? And, And man, that's a scary question that we've gotten wrong way too often. Especially in Texas. I mean, Mm -hmm. when we talk about these Southern states, period, now we can talk about Texas because that's where we're from, but when we talk about these Southern states, period, um, it's a big deal. Like, and to have those conversations and you're like, what do you, this is science. Like, why are we arguing something that has been proven or not disproven, right? Yeah. Uh, Because we're talking about science. Like, why are we, I just don't understand. So. Well, and can I make it a little scarier just for a second? When you have. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, because let's let's get happy here. When you have Texas making that decision, because Texas has the purchasing power that it does mm-hmm. with the number of students that we have oh in our gosh. educational budget, it actually dictates the textbook mm-hmm. for most of the country. Right. And so when creationism is forced into a textbook, that's not just going to Texas 
school children. It's right. going across the country because McGraw Hill or Pearson or, uh, Pearson or mm-hmm. whoever it is, they don't want to have to have the cost of publishing two different textbooks. Right. And so Texas really drives this conversation nationally. And like many other people, I was brought aware of this when uh, the the black mom, I, I believe it was here in Texas, when she opened up the textbook, right, and it called uh, Slaves Migrant Workers. Yeah, Reluctant uh, Immigrants. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Uh, it, it had like quite a few different names right. that they called mm-hmm. slaves, enslaved mm-hmm. people. And I was just sitting there like, this is unbelievable. And the response that McGraw-Hill said was, well, we, we'll change it on our online system, but we're not reprinting those books. Right. right. Uh, but the books ba- back at this time, that's what we were using. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like we were still very heavily using the books for material every day in class. Uh, yeah. So it was it was like we're not basically what they said was, ma'am, calm down. We don't care that this is making national news. We're not changing it. We don't care. Right. We have the power to do that. And nothing right. is going we're to a billion come dollar company. Absolutely. Yeah. Nothing is going to well, come of it. So everything we've talked about is, is the state board of education saying what is possible and what's not. Mm-hmm. But then we also have local school districts that have that buffet menu of uh, courses to choose from. And so your local high school or middle school or even elementary school, they may not offer every single course that is possible to teach. And so which ones are they choosing to offer and which ones are they not? That's another conversation, right? American cultural studies Mm -hmm. over American, uh, Mexican American uh, history, like all of these kind of decisions can also get really political as well. Um, I was I was just looking at that when they were saying uh, my my principal was like, you got to get your history content exam out the way. And I was like, what? And he's like, yeah, they're bringing the African-American studies class and you got to teach it. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I'm like, one, I thank you for thinking of me. That's awesome. Right. Two, that's because these history teachers up here are whack as hell. And, you know, being in the history department, like, I don't know how you do it, because I know that there's always like two or three out of like however many history teachers on a campus that are woke. You know what I'm saying? That like mm-hmm. that yeah. are actually sitting in class. I have one on my campus who literally you walk into her class, she's blonde hair, blue eyed white girl, and you walk in and boom, it's a huge ass James Baldwin quote on the wall. <laughs> and you're like, okay, <laughs> yeah. this is going to be yeah. good, right? And another one of my good friends, a uh, history teacher, she's phenomenal at it as well. She'll say, look, this is what you need to know. I'm going to tell you the truth of how it happened though, right? This is how it's yeah. going to show up on Star, but here's also what you need to know. So shout out to Pointer and Blakely on my campus who are like killing it and who have to yeah. constantly combat all of, you know, the things that they do on a daily basis uh, that that people are, that the other history teachers just refuse. They they just yeah. refuse to hit on it. Right. Yeah. Um, and so that's a big deal. But I, I appreciate people like you. So when we talk about school board and what their role and responsibility is, because each person on the school board actually is over a different thing. Right. Like they're not all over the same thing or am I mistaken? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that that can vary from place to place, but okay. most school boards in Texas are going to be elected um, at large. Some of them, some cities can have single member districts, but uh, as we look at what the predominant uh, design is across Texas, most of them are elected at, at large, and the board is what has authority, not a school board member. And so, what that really means is it takes a majority of the school board. Uh, to create policy. They cannot just single-handedly, they're not an executive, single-handedly walk into a school one-on-one and say, I'd like the following things to change. It takes a a majority of the school board. Interesting. I didn't, I don't think I knew that. Um, Okay. So 
the superintendent is not elected, right? How does Correct. how do they even come about? Because the the school board works with him, and mm-hmm. they make decisions. But yeah. how does the superintendent come about? Well, and it's it's different for each uh, school board how how bold those individual board members want to be and uh, how aggressive they want to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they can create policies. That's their job. Uh, they oversee the budget. That's their job. They hire the superintendent. That's their job. And so what is it that they want that superintendent to do? Um, a lot of school boards are not super involved mm-hmm. and they're not watching day to day. They're not asking for reports on how policies have done. They meet once or twice a month and they set a budget and they take some photo ops and they go away. Uh, now other board members, you know, that's not the case. And, and they are uh, asking for a lot more accountability uh, of the organization. Uh, and I hope that's what most school boards are going to do. But the superintendent can have a lot of discretion, a very long leash uh, from his school board if um, if that's what they choose to do. So it can vary. Interesting. OK. And uh, this is kind of the last question uh, that I wanted to ask, because and I'm listeners, I am telling you, this is your homework. I want you to go and you need to Google who what did you say? Who represents me? Is that what you said? Yeah. They could Google. Yeah. Who represents me? Because. When I started following, and many of them, almost all of them, right, have public pages. No matter where you mm-hmm. are, they have public pages. Their Facebooks tend to be public. Uh, I want you to just go. That is your homework. I want you to look for who represents you if you don't already know. Go to their pages um, and see what their thoughts are. Because a lot of them are getting away with a, a lot of comments and things that appeal to their base that do not resonate with you, right, personally as a voter. And so it's important for you to know who is representing me because they might be out here uh, doing all kinds of things. Yeah. And again, they might have very well been the people that were on Capitol Hill. We are right. looking <laughs> at these, the Capitol. like, yeah. literally, even like, literally invading the Capitol. Um, like, I wish that were just like a phrase, like a figurative phrase, you know what I'm saying? But right. like, it's literal. And that oh, blows my mind. The person who's in my chair right now, or I guess I shouldn't say it that way. It's not my chair. It's the, the people's chair, right? But the you. person who I didn't seek reelection, the person who replaced me is on parlor, right? Like, <laughs> that's the level of, of crazy that's in that chair. Uh, And, you know, like you said, there are even crazier folks out there. So we absolutely need to know who's on these boards, who's on these uh, city councils, uh, because they're in control of millions of dollars. They're in control of policy over the school to prison pipeline, uh, over which communities get funded and which ones don't, Mm -hmm. which roads get fixed and which ones don't. Yeah. And one thing. So last year, like I said, I mentioned earlier, I had a meeting with our mayor, uh, Bruce Archer. Uh, and Kia. And in that meeting, he said, and this is something that as we as I go into the next question, I want everyone to be aware of, is that those who serve, depending on your city, they do not get paid. These are not paid positions. Mm -hmm. So that tells us a lot already about the people that are able to do this, um, because our uh, our city councilmen or members. Right. Sorry. Our city council members Mm -hmm. uh, are white. They are older. And there is one female. Is that correct? Yes. On the school board. Yeah. Oh, sorry. That's the school board. Sorry. City councilman is all men. You are correct. All men um, and all older all white except for our one, right, tea party, we got it. Uh, but, and that that should let you know already, right, that 
a lot of times minorities, we are not able to take on something extra that is going to be perhaps time consuming uh, away from our families, away from mm. our, our jobs that we already have uh, and things like that. So that is difficult. School board as well. School board. When I looked at the school board, um, we have, a, I think, an African. I'm not sure if he's African-American. Mm-hmm. Um but I know by the name and everything else that he is African. They're all older. They are all older. <laughs> like, yeah. we have one Puerto Rican. There are very, very few Puerto Ricans in this area, uh, which <laughs> doesn't matter. It's a Latino uh, representation. However, um, Puerto Ricans are very different when we're looking at our population, which is predominantly Mexican and Central American. Um, so even then, there's a huge disconnect. So we have to understand that, that so many of them, uh, they just are not representative of what the city and where you live looks like, right? Mm -hmm. But we also have to be cognizant that it's not a paid position. And so depending, we... Like, if I were to run for school board, I cannot also be a teacher in that district, right? Because right, I can't right. be my own boss, which is what I've been right. told several times. You can't be your own boss, um, which would be nice. Um, right. But as far as this is concerned, you can't be your own boss. And that's difficult. So when telling people how to begin to prepare us, right, because we're seeing a wave of young people run for positions across the nation. And that has been Mm -hmm. beautiful to see. Mm -hmm. So what is some, um, like, how can we begin to prepare those around us and even ourselves to run for those positions? Yeah. So I think we have to get our mind right. We have to understand that if we don't, who will? Um, and, and so I don't want to be convicting, but I do. Um, and so there is some responsibility there. If we want to see the changes that our community needs, if not us, who, if not now, when, um, yeah. And so that's, that's a big question I want to place at everybody's feet. Uh, A second one I want to place at is think about the time responsibilities, the people who are in those chairs who are in their 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, in some cases, how much time are they really committing? How, how much are they really engaging their community before they show up to that once a month meeting? Right. I, I, I bet just you and your smartphone could engage more folks in a couple hours than they have in maybe their entire career. Um, and so we have to think about the time responsibilities and what we can give and realize what we can give is probably a lot more care and time than anyone else is doing anyways. Uh, now, would it be as as good as we could do if that was our full-time job and it paid tens of thousands of dollars in a real salary? No. And that's one of the changes maybe we have to think about to be able to get folks who are not independently wealthy to be able to run for some of these offices. But in the meantime, we have to be able to handle a full-time job and this additional responsibility using the tools that we have today. And so when I was on the city council, yeah, uh, we got paid for like a a cell phone reimbursement, basically like $50. It definitely didn't cover the cell phone even that it it promised to. Um, And so could I answer every phone call, every email, every social media uh, and manage uh, my, my full-time job? No. And that's, you know, something that I, I could not answer every single thing I wanted to, but me being in that chair, was better than my opponent. Um, and I know I did a better job than, uh, they did or they would have done. Uh, and so that's one of the things we have to think about our good, our best is going to be good enough. And maybe our best isn't, uh, what it would be if we were paid full time. Um, that's until we can make the changes to make it a salaried position that has to be good enough. And so think about running for office. Think about in our suburban community, 
there's 150,000 people that, who live here. 75,000 of them are registered to vote. Only 5% of those registered folks are going to be showing up. And so what it have, what's a campaign cost in order to reach that 5% or our network who is not old, white, and conservative? Right. Um, we're, we're talking about being able to raise $5,000, maybe $10,000. And I know that seems like a big number when we just drop that. But when you raise that money, you're not raising it out of your bank account. You're you're asking your friends, your family, your neighbors, not even to invest in you, but to invest in themselves, to invest in their community for a better community. And they will. And they'll give $50. They'll give $100. Some of them have the capacity to give it every single month. Some mm-hmm. of them have the capacity to do it once. And we can activate our friends and our family and our networks to donate to volunteer if they cannot donate, to do both if they can, to vote, and we can change the community. And if we don't, it's going to be that same sliver that I would argue is more radical Mm -hmm. and less connected than our community would be if we don't run. Um, I I just appreciate that. Like, I I can't say that enough. I think that um, first of all, let's start with the fact that, again, we know Jeff has black friends because starting out, he said, first of all, you got to get your mind right. That's the first thing you said, Jeff. Like, only black folks say, <laughs> get your mind right. <laughs> but, but anyway, I, I agree with that. We have to understand. We have to get ready, y'all. And And donating is something that many of us, again, in the last four years have been very aware of and very committed to. Uh, you know, throwing an extra five, twenty five hundred dollars here or there, yeah. especially when we see these big names. We're like, oh, we can get Mitch McConnell. Oh, we can get Lindsey Graham. Yeah. Oh, oh, like. Right. So we can definitely do that in our neighborhoods and our communities as well. Throwing as much as we possibly can uh, to help people who look like us and who believe like us represent us. Um, Jeff, I know we've hit a lot of things. Is there any. Um, and I, I feel like we've already said this, so you could be like, no, nah, I didn't already hit it. But do you feel like there's any any one small piece of advice that you would give listeners about uh, school board or uh, city council before? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't know if I said this earlier or not, but you're qualified. You're qualified. You are. And And what has happened in the past in your community? is that the same group that is on that council or on that school board, when they get ready to be done, they tap their friend on the shoulder and they say, you're ready. It's your time. Wow. Uh, they, they, they go to their pew in their church and they say, you're ready. It's your time. And so what we have to start telling our community is, hey, single mom, you're ready. And I know it's a lot of responsibility for you and you don't feel qualified, but you are. You're the smartest person. You have the best judgment. You know what it's like to have your kid in that school district. You know the policies that they have that are, are sending way too many brown and black kids to the principal's office and, and for infractions that they wouldn't send white students for. Uh, you have those life experiences that make you qualified. I don't care if you have a doctorate degree or not. That's not what makes you qualified. Right. Do you care about your community? Uh, do you have the heart to be a public servant? And so that's the thing I want to leave everybody with is I don't know if anyone's ever tapped you on the shoulder or if that's what you're waiting on, but you're qualified. Um, I, I 
I feel like we needed to hear that because sometimes we look at these people and imposter syndrome is is real, right? We go, mm-hmm. I'm not smart enough. I haven't, I don't know enough. I'm not this enough, but you are enough, right? Yeah. Um, and for those of you that are believers, whom the Lord calls, he qualifies. That's something that we hear often, yeah. especially in my church, right? If he calls you, he can qualify you and you can do it. Uh, so I just, I appreciate you. Jeff, I appreciate your knowledge and your wisdom that you have dropped on us today. After uh, this intense ass week of watching the news and being like, whoo, your people crazy. You know what I'm saying? Um, (laughs) After watching that all week, we're just like, we needed something that could give us a little bit of hope. And so many of us, like I said, we're looking at our elected officials go nuts and we're looking at them uh, be in support and now ask for empathy Uh, Mm. when they weren't given that same empathy and courtesy last year during the civil unrest. So be be aware of those things, guys, as we've been dealing with this. Um, Jeff, what is some info if folks want to reach out to you and say, look, be my campaign manager or friend, you know, (laughs) 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 what what uh, how can we reach you, Jeff? What can we hit you up on? Please do reach out to me. And and I, I want you to know you can't do it alone. Uh, and you can't do it without knowing what you're getting yourself into and having a good uh, timeline and expectations. Because I, I've talked to way too many first-time candidates who think once they file, there's going to be cavalry who are going to show up and save them. There's no cavalry. There's you. There's you and your friends and your family uh, and, and your community. And you guys are going to have to build a campaign yourselves and make it happen. Um, and so, yeah. Um please do reach out to me and I would love to be uh, somebody who you can bounce ideas off of and help you form that cabinet, so to speak of people who are going to get you elected. Uh, And so on Instagram, on Twitter, I'm on Facebook. I think on Instagram and Twitter, it's Jeff underscore Casper on Facebook. Uh, It's Jeff dot C dot Casper. I would love to to, uh, organize with you and, and, and get you guys elected and transform some communities. And it has been a hard week, but, Look at all those people who are on the Sunday morning talk shows or getting quoted in the news. And you know what? They're elected officials and they're saying crazy things and they're doing crazy things. And so they think they're qualified. Mm -hmm. We are. And so let's go and let's do it. Let's do it. I appreciate you, Jeff. Um, please tell Baby Canyon that Auntie Felicia says hello, and I For love sure. him, and I'm ready to, after this COVID, get some baby kisses in, because yeah. it's long overdue. It's very frustrating for me. So Agreed. Agreed. <laughs> anyway, guys, I am so grateful for y'all listening today. I hope that we have given you a little bit of hope, uh, you know, me and my boy Jeff, because he's just phenomenal. Please hit him up. Uh, also, follow us on, uh, follow me on Facebook, Instagram, Black Joy and Bootstraps, uh, Twitter, BLK Joy and Boots. That's uh, at Black Joy and Boots. Uh, again, each one teach one. We have to take this knowledge. We have to go. We got to throw it out in our communities. We got to throw it out at our friends. All those people that are super active uh, and super politically involved, look at them and go, "It's you need to quit playing and go and run. Like, cause mm. we, it's, it's time. It's our time. There's never been a better time. It's here and we are ready to represent our communities. I just love y'all so much. And I'm grateful for everything that y'all do. Uh, again, each one teach one. I'm your host, Felicia Jimenez. And until next time.